1: They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today.
2: Today's episode is brought to you by Waypoint TV. Waypoint TV has over 2,000 titles of the best hunting and fishing content anywhere. And guess what? It is absolutely free. All you got to do is go to waypointtv.com. You can download the app on your smart TV, on your phone, on your Android device. You will be able to watch Waypoint TV anywhere, anytime you want. And it has the best content available. Our shows are there. All the saltwater experience, all the end of the blue, all the sweet water, they're all there. So go to waypointtv.com. Find out how you can watch on all your different devices
0: there's this man he's walking in this field and he comes upon this tiger and the tiger gives chase the guy's got nowhere to go but to dive off this cliff so he dives off this cliff and about midway down he grasps onto this vine and he's holding onto this vine for dear life he looks up and there's that tiger and he can hear the growl he can feel the hot breath of that tiger to his dismay directly below him on the the ground is another tiger walking around waiting for him to drop off the vine uh, right above where his hands are clasped onto the vine are two mice, one black and one white, and they're gnawing on the vine. But directly in front of him is this earthen ledge, and this has this, uh, this uh, plant. In the middle of the plant is a nice, big, juicy strawberry. So he grasps on as tight as he can with one hand, takes his other hand, reaches in there, grabs that strawberry, puts it in his mouth, closes his eyes, and says to himself, how sweet it tastes. And what do these characters represent? The tiger above him is his past life. If you try to relive it, like, I can't go back and do 10 sets to 10 on power in my body weight. You know, I'm 64 years old, you know, it's a little bit different animal today. But I've learned a lot from the past. There are things that I can carry over from the past, but I can't relive it. The tiger down below is your sure and ultimate death. We're all going, we're, we're not gonna leave this world alive. We're all gonna die. The two mice on the vine is day and night and it's just ticking away. And, you know, we've got so much time. That's where it is. But that ledge, that earthen ledge where the strawberry is, is the present moment. We're sharing time right now. You have a movie in your mind. I've got a movie in my mind. We're sharing this movie in this podcast. What happens is that living in that process and being married to the process is what makes you get through. So it's basically living in the moment. Enjoy every moment, moment that you have. When you're eating, when you're sleeping, when you're you're with your kids, when you're out here training, whatever it is, enjoy it. Don't think about the past. Don't think about the future. Live in the present. I am Ethan Reeve, and this is the Tom Rowland Podcast.
2: That was Coach Ethan Reeve, and he is a very special guest on today's show. I'm going to tell you all about Coach Reeve in just a second, but first I want to thank you for all the emails you've been sending to podcast at saltwaterexperience.com. That is the dedicated email address for this show and a very easy way to get in touch with me. Send me an email. Let me know how you like the show, what you don't like about the show, if the, if the show has had a positive impact on your life. Love to hear it. I really do. The show is gaining So much momentum every day, every week. And it's really because of you guys sharing this on social media, telling your friends about it, sending, you know, sharing episodes, texting them to your friends, whatever. It is growing, and I really appreciate it. And one of the ways that you can help it to grow even further is to leave some ratings and reviews on iTunes. That is a very important thing, and it helps to get the podcast out to a lot more people. So if you haven't done it, it only takes a second, and it really means a lot. This week, fan of the week, we want to recognize Casey Middleton, who sends me uh, a really nice email. Really like this, and I like what the theme of it is. Just wanted to commend you on a great job on the podcast. I've always enjoyed the TV show, and the podcast gives a little more insight to who you are and the people you like to surround yourself with. I have also found motivation and inspiration from you from a fitness perspective. I'm 50. And it's often easy to use age as an excuse to slack off. Seeing the work that you put in and also listening to what others are doing offers great accountability. Thank you, Casey. And uh, I love it that people are really getting a lot out of the podcast associated with health and fitness. And today we have probably our best one ever Because we have a very, very special guest, and today's guest is Coach Ethan Reeve. Coach Ethan Reeve is one of the most elite strength and conditioning coaches in the world, period. His resume includes being the strength coach at University of Tennessee at Chattanooga, at Ohio at Ohio University, at Macaulay School, at Wake Forest, and he has recently moved back to UTC to serve as a strength coach for the wrestling team. His background is in wrestling, and he has served as an assistant wrestling coach at Oklahoma State, at Ohio, at Clemson, and he was head wrestling coach of the University of Tennessee at Chattanooga, where his teams won five of six Southeastern Conference championships, five out of six years. Personally, he was a two-time NCAA All-American wrestler and a four-time Southeastern Conference champion. He's certified in USA Weightlifting, Russian Kettlebells, and Collegiate Strength and Conditioning Coaches Association. He doesn't just have success training wrestlers, though. In 1993, he served as a strength coach for the women's U.S. rowing team until 1995, where, in 1995, they went on to win four gold medals and one silver. And that is out of six possible medals. So out of six, they won four golds and a silver. In the 1995 World Championships, I could have talked to Coach Reeve all day. He dropped knowledge throughout our conversation about his training philosophy and his training philosophy and what he's really known for is something called density training, and he's going to go into depth about what density training is and how elite athletes have been able to use that to really reach basically whatever goal They want in terms of strength, and it's not just for elite athletes. Density training can be used and applied to anyone. Let's just say a forty-five-year-old who has let it all go and really wants to regain his health, or someone who is uh, recovering from a from a knee replacement and uh, needs to get up and get some mobility. His his uh, training density training can be used both for elite athletes and for somebody that is is recovering from an injury. It can be used to take your pull-ups from 1 to 10. It can be used to take your pull-ups as far as you want to take them. He told a story in this podcast about one of his athletes that did over 600 chin-ups in 60 minutes using the density training method. Uh, So, It can take you as far as you want to go, and it's a very simple philosophy. So stay tuned for that. He goes deep into it. We also talked about mindset, attitude, daily practices, work ethic, and positivity. He's one of the most positive people I've ever been around, and I just absolutely love talking to him. I hope that you will also. So with no further ado, Coach Ethan Reeve. All right, so we are live with Ethan Reeve, coach. It's a pleasure to sit down with you. I've been following your work for, man, I don't know how long, a long time, (laughs) but we have a lot of mutual friends and a lot of mutual interests, so this will be fun. But um, for those that don't know, Ethan Reeve is a strength and conditioning coach. Tell us where how you got started.
0: Well, you know, of course, my sport was wrestling, but I had done a lot of sports when I was in, you know, middle school and high school. I played football and played basketball even when I wrestled. So I'd have uh, basketball practice in the morning and I'd practice with the varsity when I was in the seventh grade in the afternoons. Mm -hmm. And then I ran track as, you know, half miler, hurdler, that sort of thing. You know, played linebacker and also running back in football. Yeah. And did that up at least till my uh, junior year in high school. No, I was always interested in strength training. Of course, the big thing for me was a lot of body weight stuff. So i from the eighth grade to about the 12th grade, I would do 500 push ups every day. Wow. So I would, but I had a way of doing them. I'd oh, yeah. Make that's sure what I was going to ask you. Yeah. Well, the thing, uh, thing I'm probably most known for is density training. Right. And that is basically making sure you build your quality or your vol- volume with quality repetition. Mm-hmm. So if, if I were to have you do like 10 push-ups and, and five or six uh, chins or whatever, I'd make sure that we have quality when do it. So you need to make sure that time is spaced far enough at, away from each other so you can do the quality mm-hmm. reps. So if if you're sitting there, you're in a business and you got a chin or a bar at your work, where let's just say, yeah. for instance, some you have do. that. Some people do. I do. Yeah. <laughs> so what you do is uh, you want to get Let's say you want to start doing uh, chins, and you haven't done them in a while. But let's say you can do maybe six chins in a row, and that's it. So what I would do is I say, okay, I want you to do three chins every sixty minutes for eight hours, ten hours. You know, it, and it's kind of like uh, they use the term "grease in the groove." Right. You just kind of you're flexing, you're getting to feel of it, but it's not killing you. You walk away, and in t- ten hours, you've gotten like you know thirty chins. Right? Okay. And uh, then you can start building on that, and if you either you start increasing the reps within that set, or you start condensing the time. Instead of maybe an hour, every hour you might go to forty-five minutes, and thirty minutes, and fifteen minutes, and then pretty soon you're doing like ten sets. Like the big thing for our wrestlers was to be able to do ten sets of ten in ten minutes. Okay. You know, pull ups or chin ups. Chin ups. Yeah, uh-huh. doing chins. Let's say power clean is a big thing for me, so back when I started doing this at the University of Tennessee, I would go and watch the throwers on the track team because they were the best at snatches and cleans and jerks. And, stuff. and I, I didn't know anything about it. I was, I was doing body weight, doing a lot of farming and things like that and got strong that way. But these guys were good. So I'd watch them. And then I had a way to sneak into the room at University of Tennessee to Jimmy the door. And I'd get in there at six o'clock every morning. And I would go in there, and put my body weight on the bar. So if I weighed 165 that day, I'd put 165 on the bar and I would do 10 power cleans. And then I'd walk overnight on, they had a chin-up bar on the wall and I'd do 10 overhand chin-ups. And I'd come back and do 10 power cleans and then 10 underhand chin-ups. There was no neutral grip, there none of that stuff. And I had to do that in 20 minutes. And I did that seven days a week for about two and a half years. And man, Made the world a difference for me as a wrestler, especially my takedowns, stand up takedowns.
2: So, as you're improving and you're getting better, are you putting more weight on the bar mm-hmm. or are you just decreasing the time?
0: Yeah, I just I just wanted to make sure I could get it in that time. Mm-hmm. And then, if I felt pretty good, I would stick around. I'd do some front squats and deadlifts. The big thing for wrestlers is uh, you have to be married to resistance. You have to love hard work. You have to love the stress and strain of, of training. Mm-hmm. And if you love that, then you're going to go well, – you'll do very well in wrestling. And just like don't find the things that are easy. When you walk in a room, you know, you, when you walk into a weight room, everybody likes to do toe raises and wrist curls and bicep curls and things like that. But chin-ups are different. Mm-hmm. Uh, deadlift is a different animal. You know, I would do like – I do about three to five sets of five with 405 on deadlifts mm-hmm. at 165 pounds. Wow, uh, It's not heavy. I never went real heavy because back in those days – like if you do a power clean, we, everything was metal plates. Yes. And so what you do, you'd have to catch it back on your thigh. So you'd have to remain vertical, catch it back on your thigh. Man, your traps and your forearms and hands got so strong from doing that. It's like a plyometric effect mm-hmm. on your body, but boy, you got strong doing that way. So it made my actually by doing that, uh, power cleans like that, my deadlifts were easy. Really? Yeah.
2: That improved your deadlift. That's really cool. So we have a workout that we do with your name on it, and it's oh, almost that, but okay. not chin-ups. It's with push-ups. So it's yeah, it's ten power cleans at body weight, ten push-ups. Yeah, every two minutes you that's get good. that done. So that's, whatever, if you can do it in 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 forty-five seconds, then you got the rest of the two minutes to rest. Yeah, but getting it done in in twenty minutes that's that's a, a very challenging workout. It's very difficult. So it's interesting to hear that that was your main that was your main workout. That
0: was a. Big thing for me. That 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 was the two years that I was all American, and man, it just made it easy to just lift people, and my drilling became so much easier. All the drilling of takedowns, lifting people up, it was just easy. So,
2: were you a little bit ahead of of your time at that point? Like, were other wrestlers on your team doing similar workouts, or? Well, no,
0: I would drag people in there with me. Uh-huh. I'm, I use the term uh, champions come in pairs. Yeah, you've got to have somebody with you because you have to have somebody push you. Otherwise, what happens? A lot of people they come off the break and they get back in the team workout. It's a lot different. They go, coach, these are a lot harder than work. I did the workout you said, Mm -hmm. but it was it was easier back at home. Yeah, it's tougher when you have your teammates working. So if you have a group of guys out here, I'm telling you, it's better. It's tougher, you know, because you're competing.
2: Yeah, you're competing, and then then also there's camaraderie and there's shared suffering. And th- that bonds people like nothing else, I think.
0: That's exactly it. And that's what we try to do. Basically, what, what I told you, uh, the term champions come in Paris come in, comes from wrestling. So if you and I are working out together, you're having a bad day, I've got I've to kick your butt some. Right. I've got to call you a candy, whatever, and, <laughs> and get you fired up. Or I've got to be smart, depending on how you are. How do I encourage you? How do I talk to you to, to make you feel more confident? make you feel better. I get to build you up, give you give you a positive. Is that the
2: coach's thing. job or the or the workout partner's job?
0: Being? I make the make the wrestlers do it. Hmm. I do it with almost every team I've ever worked with. It's a a thing that the big thing is, you know, deep down inside I'm an educator. And a lot of kids need to be a little more selfless instead of selfish. They need to come out of their own thing and start thinking about how can I help somebody else? Now, the big thing is as a role model and as a leader, you want to be, you want to show the, your work ethic. And people see that and they go, wow, that I like that. You want that. But when you step off the platform and then your partner steps on the platform, that's a great time to teach and coach, hmm. to get outside of yourself and help another person. And it just makes so much better. Plus, if you're in wrestling and you get better at that fireman's carry, then I got to get better at stopping you. right? And so it, it just goes hand in hand. And that's what, so... What I've done is taken that philosophy of wrestling into strength and conditioning. Hmm.
2: And so when you're doing that in strength and conditioning, what we were talking about just a little bit before is you were looking at my setup out here and most of this is audio. The people that are listening, most, mm-hmm. most people listen to this, but mm-hmm. it's a 30 foot rig, three every 10 feet is a, uh, is a squat rack on both sides. So there's six squat racks and pull up bars all down the sides. And, yep. and you could, I've got ropes in the middle. So what you were talking about is how how you took the wrestling, what you had learned in wrestling from the circle and bringing it into a, a setup like that, like the half rack and using the other side of the rack. And so so explain how that came from from wrestling necessarily.
0: Well, if you walk into a wrestling room, what you'll see is, you know, if you go to a match, there's one big circle. Right. Okay. But when you go to practice, there are small circles because that's where the a pair will train. So you and I, if we're going in there, we're going to drill on fireman's carriers or duck gunners or mm-hmm. snap downs. What happens is we basically will stay in that area, in those circles. So, and there might be 20, 30 how many of there are in a, in a practice. Mm-hmm. Like we we had 48 guys out for the team back in the 80s. So we had that many circles, okay, to cover it for two guys in a circle. So when I got into strength and conditioning, I was trying to take that philosophy Champions come in pairs, guys working together, people working together. Now, sometimes you have to put three in a group, and that's fine too. But the idea is now, how can I get more of those circles in the room? Like, uh, when I went to University of Alabama, and I was at uh, Macaulay School, I went down to visit, and LeBaron Carruthers was the uh, strength coach there. He had eight benches at eight inclines. Eight squat racks, eight power racks, and then eight platforms. And his, actually his platforms were on, is on the carpet hmm. at that time. And they had just won the national championship back in 1992. And I went there afterwards in that spring after that. And I went down to watch it. The thing is, when they go to lift weights, if you've got all this spread out, what happened, is, what happens is maybe that incline and in that power rack is not going to be utilized that day. Mm-hmm. So, so what happens? It's really, I'd rather combine those so I can do a bench or an incline inside that rack or to that squat stand Mm. and then have more of those. And that's what we started doing. Right. And that was back when I was at Macaulay school. We designed all that. And that's why you see, I mean, all these things is a lot of platforms and there's a rack there. So you can bench, you can squat, you can incline, you can do whatever you want to from that rack into that platform. And Mm. you just see. 50 platforms in a room
2: yeah so how would you how would you decide who was going to pair up with one another
0: normally I'll let them choose I want them to be comfortable with who they have someone that they, that's going to push each other but if I start seeing two guys are together that shouldn't be together right I've got I've got to change that scenario
2: and then you would you would take that and say say you take that into football or basketball mm-hmm. and you're training those teams you would you would be able to communicate. That effectively to a different team from with the wrestling mindset
0: pretty easily. Yeah, I don't say wrestling. Oh, I just say champions be come it, in pairs. Champions come in pairs. Be a good teammate. You got to care about your teammate. Now I, I was talking to my wife the other day about this, and uh there were a couple of football players while I was at Wake Forest that said, "Coach, that's your job. You coach him I'm not going to do that." They they would rather when they got through lifting, go get a drink of water. Mm. Not pay attention to their thing. And boy, that ticks me off. That's selfish. If you can't pay attention to your teammate, you know, like if you walked into Gold's gym right now, a guy's over on the bench. He's getting ready to do a heavy bench. Nobody's around. Wouldn't you walk over to spot him mm-hmm. and coach him up? It's just natural. That's what you do. Yeah. You, you, you got to care enough. I get, first of all, I got to protect him, but I'll be there to encourage him how to talk to him. And that's, it's just my nature. That's just what you do. Yeah.
2: So how have you seen that that translates into, um, into success of your players or your wrestlers, of your, of your athletes after, after they're in a program like this? And this becomes like, that's a culture, right? That's that, that becomes a culture of caring about your teammate, of encouraging your teammate, of yeah. working together as a team, even in an individual sport, like at wrestling. I rely on what I have learned in wrestling almost more than I rely on what I learned in college, what I learned. Even very specific business practices that I, that I do, it still boils down a lot of times to the culture of what I learned in wrestling when I was a wrestler. Mm-hmm. The culture of, uh, yeah, it's an individual sport, but it's also kind of a team sport. Did you, have you seen a lot of your, your athletes?
0: I did, I do it with tennis. I do it with soccer. We, we won the ACC for the first time in the history at, uh, at Wake Forest University. It took me a couple of years now to get the system in. Mm-hmm. But I've done it with rowers where they got to learn to pull together, work together. Tennis players, you got to have somebody across the court that you work out with that's going to be good for you. Mm-hmm. You got to work together. You know, so it doesn't matter what sport, but soccer players, the same way. They got to come in. So I, if they were going to come in to work out, I'd say, don't come in by yourself. It's not personal training.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You come in with a partner. I'll coach you up, we'll Work, but let's work together. Always with a partner. Always, always going with somebody.
2: And then how are you, um, Changing the training. I mean, obviously, a tennis player and a wrestler have very different strength and and endurance, and everything is different. There's different different uh, requirements for both sports. How would you then look at these different sports and design a program for a different athlete?
0: Yeah, you know, the term uh, "sports specific" has come up quite a bit. I would just tell you, it does not matter to me. The you know, I, I would train a swimmer and a diver, and they. they you know, doing a squat, doing a clean is good for all of them. Doing mm-hmm. a snatch or a jerk. Th- those are just good things for them. Now they may not go as heavy, but it's athletic. My thing is to develop a, a, an athlete's is better in general. If you're more athletic, I, I give this example. If you have 10 coaches of 10 different sports, head coaches, and there's a hundred players and you pl- line them up from one to a hundred, number one being the best, number 100 being the worst. Mm-hmm. Men's golf coach comes up, he picks a number, and he happens to get number one choice. Now, is he thinking, well, you know, in the past, I haven't had really good athletes. I think I'll take numbers 91 through 100. (laughs) Or is he saying, oh, no, I'm taking one through 10. Of course he is. I'm going to go get the best athletes. So just with that thought in mind, if we can make them better athletes, we give that coach a better chance to win. We give those athletes a better chance to maximize their potential. You know, in your DNA, you only have so much potential. How can we get them there? What, what is it going to take for us to get them to maximize their potential? First of all, they got to be athletic. Part of being athletics, they got to be flexible. But they have to be flexible in motion. Hmm. And tennis players sometimes be a little tight in the hips. My thing is that we need to work on being more mobile. So a lot of hurdle drills, tumbling drills. Uh, crawling drills. How can we get them to be more athletic? Start doing bag drills and and ladder drills and things like that to get, get them to be more athletic. And then you start with calisthenics. They've got to learn to handle their body weight first. Mm-hmm. Then you can start getting into your kettlebells and some medicine balls and that sort of thing.
2: Mm-hmm. And so you're you're, you're uh, maintaining the the tumbling
0: throughout all sports. I'm a I believe in the tumbling. Now the problem we have is we don't have tumbling mats in the room, so I'm going to have to meet those women tennis players or golfers over in the restroom. Mm. But wrestling has allowed me to do that, to go over there and train them there. So,
2: And the tumbling that you find the most, I guess that would transfer to the most sports are like forward rolls, handstands, cartwheels.
0: Well, just imagine if were—if we put a mat out here and I had you do like three, four, five rolls in a row uh, without stopping. Uh, you and I, because I haven't done it in a while, We'd be like dizzy. We're grabbing for sky hooks. Right. You know, that sort of thing. <laughs> what happens is the fluid inside your ears gets jumbled up and you get disoriented. I mean you could hardly see. Sometimes people get nauseous. We find out what they had for breakfast, mm. that sort of thing. <laughs> but I've had kids that could not do a forward roll. But what happened is I know that when they can start doing the rolls, forward rolls, backward rolls, diving rolls, split rolls, forward and backward, crawls and things like that. When they can get and do those things without getting dizzy, automatically, they're a better baseball player, nice. better basketball player. They're better right. Their kinesthetic and spatial awareness is better. Their vision is better in space. They know where they are. So the tumbling and gymnastic type work is some of the best things you can do for athletes. Hmm. I, I, I will stand by that. In fact, in my opinion, when the kids get to kindergarten age, forget weights and forget sports. Other than maybe a, a four week course in wrestling, a four week course in basketball, badminton, volleyball. That's what should be taught. Forget competing. I, I really up until the seventh grade, I really think kids should not compete as much. I think they need to learn those sports skills when they're young, but they should be doing jumping jacks and squatting movements and one legged squats and, and all kinds of gymnastics and tumbling mm. type things. And when they do that, when they're young, jumping and running. Now, when they get in that sixth, seventh grade and they're starting to compete, now we've done it a big favor.
2: Yeah. 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 Because they're just, they're just amazing athletes. They can do anything.
0: Yeah. And then after that, now we can start doing kettlebells. I'll stay taking the barbell. I'll be teaching them how to do cleans and jerks and snatches and that sort of thing. But we've got to get into that point. And uh, I don't worry so much about weight. Even during those, that age, but some kids are more mature. Like you might be very mature at seventh, in the seventh grade. Mm -hmm. I can put a little more weight on for you, you know, but, uh, but maybe someone else not. Like I, you know, when I was at Macaulay, I, we had a thing in the bigger, faster, stronger, uh, magazine where we had like four kids on a platform. Three guys were back here sitting down and we would do squat snatches, squat cleaning jerks. We were teaching it but it, sometimes it was the bar or maybe a big five-pound right, uh, training place, right, right. but they were learning technique. So, you know, like Adam and those guys, they went through that that sort of thing mm-hmm. because I was teaching posture, position, tumbling, you know, uh, body awareness and body movement. So
2: that's awesome. You know, there has been a, the movement of CrossFit has, has come through and they have the CrossFit kids program. And a lot of what you just, outlined is the basis of that program, yeah. but you were doing this long before CrossFit was ever yeah. heard of. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of the, of, the, um, of the training philosophy, I believe it's coming from you because mm-hmm. it's deeply in, in CrossFit now, all of what you just talked about. So did you have contact with Greg Glassman and those guys yeah. in, in the beginning? Yeah, he called
0: me up. I was on a trip to, I was driving up to Hershey, PA, and he called me and talked to me for 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. I basically explained my life, what I was doing with push-ups and chin-ups and how it gravitated into olympic lifts and squatting and all that stuff and he was very uh impressed with that.
2: Yeah. Well the the first workout that you're that you're um that, that we talked about right here, the the 10 power cleans, 10 pull-ups mm-hmm. and then making sure you're doing that in 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. I guess he would or crossfit has gone into saying, "Okay, Doing it in twenty minutes—that's great. Yeah, but can you do it in nineteen? And if you can yeah. do it in nineteen, then you're in better shape than if you could just do yes. it in twenty. And if you can do it in fourteen, mm-hmm. then that means you've improved your fitness. Are you following along with that? Mm-mm. With that deal, you? No, just, I don't.
0: I, I, I look, there's a point in there. Like, let's say, let's take for instance, how how did this evolve into uh, taking a one rep max? Mm-hmm. And so what you do is you, uh, at a certain percentage, you assign a rep max. Because you don't always have to test every percentage for how many reps you can right. do there. But what we found is if you start at 100%, that's a one rep max. If you go to 95%, that's a 2RM. And then 92.5 is a 3RM. 90% is a 4. And it goes all the way down to 50%, which is a 20RM. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what I do is I know basically where what what is speed, what is power, what is high power, what is strength for percentage and then what is, uh, uh, peaking strength, uh, that sort of thing. So, but let's say you take the percent of 80%, 80% is the the highest end of power because after that, the bar will start to slow down.
3: Mm-hmm. All
0: Olympic lifters, you know, now with Olympic lifts, you might get a little bit higher and still be able to move the bar pretty quick. But eventually what happens is in Olympic lifting, the bar will start to slow down. The ones that win are the ones that get under the bar quicker so the athleticism of you've got to propel that weight and then you've got to relax that body and then get under the bar quick those are the guys that win because a lot of guys are strong yeah a lot of guys are actually powerful getting getting it up but who can change directions after they've done and then get under it? that's the athleticism and that's why i will always do things like power cleans and power snatches because that element, to just come up and do a clean pull or a snatch pull or something, it's good stuff. Great stuff. You got a bad wrist or a shoulder, hey, do it. Yeah. But if you can clean it and get under it, right. man, that's athletic.
2: Right. And so, of course, I understand I understand where you're coming from with that. But I guess, I guess what I was asking is you just kind of stopped at the 20-minute and made sure that you were doing that workout in 20 minutes. What if you were doing it yeah. in 10 minutes? Do you feel like that that is – that that would be the definition of fitness, that, that if, you can, if you do that workout and it's all you can do in 20 minutes and then you get stronger yeah. and you get faster and you can purge lactic acid faster and, and more efficiently, yes. and then all of a sudden you can do that in 10
0: minutes. Yeah, there's no doubt. Then you're no in better doubt. shape. Yeah. Here's the difference. Uh, CrossFit is a sport in and of itself. Yes. So it's very sport-specific for what you do. When I work with, uh, let's say, a soccer team, I, I'm just, in general, how can I get them to yes. be more athletic? Right. I'll be honest with you, I don't really think about conditioning. You know what I think about? I think about uh, athleticism, mental toughness. How can I ingest some of that but without cracking them? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. How can I be positive with them? You know, you know I was known as a pretty tough uh, wrestling coach. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, I was saying 99% of the time I was saying positive things. I was firm on what we were going to do. I always used to, I would tell a kid, you know, I'm going to ask you to do things. i want to ask you, but please don't misinterpret this. What I mean is you will do those things. <laughs> I want you to think I'm a nice guy, you know, that kind of mm-hmm. thing. But the thing is to be positive with kids. Kids, yeah. they love to be, uh not coddled, but they love to be told positive things. We all do. Yeah. We like a compliment. So you give them a compliment. Tell them, because they are doing something. If you walk by and they're doing a on the platform, doing a front squat, back is straight, chest is out, Feet are flat, knees are going out, and boy, it looks good, but the left elbow's dropped a little bit. You don't walk over there and start talking about the left elbow. What you do is you say, Man, that's good. I love what you're doing. I lo- look how the feet are flat, man, driving with the hips, coming down, controlling, and then firing out of there. Go walk down a few platforms, come back and say, I love what you're doing. It's good posture. Love you. That left elbow's dropped a little bit now. So just, just be a little mindful. Get the elbow up. You can do it in a way. That can still be positive, yeah. And then they listen more.
2: Well, that what you what you've done also is you've walked down there. You've given positive reinforcement. The kids like, yeah, this is working. Coach yes. noticed, yeah. And then you wait five minutes and you come back and you give them a cue. Yeah. They're going to be more receptive to that cue, yes, definitely, because yeah. they're already on. They're already at a high point. Like, man, coach noticed. Oh, and I can be even better.
0: Yeah, right. Like, well, well look if you if you have your kids and you you have you give them chores. And they're supposed to clean the house, whatever they're supposed to do. And all you look for is that little speck of dust. Mm. But what do you say? You complain about the speck of dust. Or do you put the speck of dust and throw it away? Come on. You you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I just think you can get too detailed with the stuff. It doesn't really matter. But now, what I was getting back to with percentages, let's say I go to that 80% and it's an eight rep max. Mm -hmm. What I If it's a very important lift... I will take that 80% and say, we're going to do 16 reps. But what we're going to do is we're going to do eight sets of two, and we're going to do it in eight minutes. So every 60 seconds, we will do a set. That's a set start.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: At that 80%, boom, double, double zeros right now, you got two reps. On the one, you got two. On the two, you get on through. So in seven minutes and five seconds, you've hit 16 reps mm-hmm. at that.
2: Now, how are you picking the eight minute time domain there
0: because what i do what i found to be optimal is with one to two reps every 60 seconds when i'm working percentages if i do three reps depending on the the intensity then i would go 75 seconds four reps i'll go 90 seconds five reps or more it's usually a minute 45 to two two minutes okay
2: that's really cool um And so when I've read all about your density training, that's what I'm reading most about is, is learning how to, how to apply density training for something like, uh, well, it could be something like, like chin ups or it could be, you know, the power clean. And we're, we're doing, we're doing it in, in those short time domains, right? Like eight, 10, 20 minutes, something like that. Yep. So, but then when we first started talking, which I think will, will really apply to, to my audience. You've got a guy that wants to get twenty pull ups for whatever reason, yep he's forty years old right now he can do ten and so when you first came out or or at six was what what you, your first example and you you extended that out to ten hours, so that's what i was I was surprised at that because I had not read that. In your density, in anything that I've read about your density training, and I'm getting yeah. most of that from Dragon Door, from Pavel's stuff, yeah. from Zach Evanesh and and uh, Ross Training and those guys, that a lot has been written on their websites about density training and your work there. But all of it that I've read has been in that shorter
0: yes. period. Well, that's that's ideally what you're getting to. Look, I had a, a physician I worked with at Ohio University, and I said, look, you're you got so many patients. After so many patients, close the door, drop down, and do ten push-ups. And how many times are you going to be able to get this throughout the day? You might be getting two hundred fifty push-ups in a day, but you won't feel it as much because what you spread it out during that time. Now to make it, you know, more where you getting more fitness, you start condensing it, mm-hmm. and that's what you do.
2: Yeah, but to get the numbers, mm-hmm. you have to start with a wide.
0: Yes. Time. Well, like I said, if, if he's, do, let's say you have the guy's doing uh, uh, 10 chin-ups in a row. Mm-hmm. Then what I would do is I'd start him doing sets of five. And I'd do five. Now, look, ideally, we want to get him to where he's doing 10 sets of five in 10 minutes. And then we can start creeping it up from there. He'll be doing well over 20. Like, uh, you know, I've had several of those guys at Macaulay School when we did this. I'll give you, for instance, David Levitt, he did uh 600 chin-ups. In two hours. But we had one guy, one of our wrestlers, who, I mean, this kid was just ripped. I watched every one of them. In 63 minutes, he got six 600 chin up. Wow. So what he did is for the first set, 57 minutes, he would do, the first set, he would do overhand chins, long arms at the bottom, chest of the bar at the top. He would do 10 reps every 60 seconds for 57 minutes. Wow. He hit a He just hit a wall. For the next six sets, he had to do fives. So in 63 minutes or less, he did 600 chin-ups. Now imagine, that's density. Yeah. And that's what I'm talking about.
2: But in order to get there, he had to, he had to start and, and work your density program from a much longer time frame down into that right. 63 minutes. Yeah, so
0: you might do something like at the beginning of the workout. When they come in, you have them jump up and do, a, a set, that person do a set of five,
2: mm-hmm.
0: okay, if they're only doing 10 chin-ups. And then some other time, do do a set of five, do, do, and you might get five to ten sets within the workout, but it's spread out over the the an hour. Right. You know, do it that way. Right. If you want to do it,
2: that's interesting, and that can work with that can work with with anything like push ups. Like you have a lot of these guys that are going to. Uh, They're, they're, they're wanting to regain their fitness. They get interested in some things that seem kind of fun and they are the go ruck challenges. You've got the Spartan races and the, and the mud runs and stuff like that. And those, I I find that those are really good for somebody maybe that has neglected their fitness and they look at something like that and they go, wow, that looks, that looks really hard, and there's some, there's some prerequisites that I have to hit to, to be able to do one of these things. Go Ruck selection is something altogether different, but on the Go, Go Ruck challenges, they'll usually put some published standards out there and say, You got to be able to do 50 sit ups and 50 push ups, you know, just with no time domain. You just have to do them. Yeah. And they're going to be, you know, on standard. Uh-oh. <laughs> they're going to be on standard. Somebody's going to have their fist down there and you're going to have to touch your chest. Yes. So they may start out and they're like, well, I can do 10, right? And this thing's three months off.
0: Easy. Right. Easy. Yeah. That's And that's what you do. Let's say he can only do 10 and that's it. 10, perfect. Then I'll have them do sets of fives or sets of threes and I'll have them do multiple sets. Here's Here's the difference with me is some coaches want to train kids, people so hard, they want them thrown up in a bucket or they want them dra- having to crawl out of I, I that's I don't really like that training. I didn't like it as a wrestler. I, my thing is when they'd come into the practice room, they wore a, a shirt and a pair of shorts and, and their uh, wrestling shoes. And when they came in, they came in. So a certain way, when they left, they better be better. They better be better at the technique or how they're going to hit a move or more flexible or stronger or a better teammate, whatever it is. But they need to leave better than when they came in. And and a lot of that is not always just kicking their butt. Now, I'm not against that sometimes. You need to do that. You need to take them to failure and break them a little bit. But for the most part, I want them to feel good when they walk out. And uh, how can I get them there without cracking them every day? You know what I mean? So they enjoy coming back. You, you know, you want to keep. These guys coming back here, do it to where it's fun for them. They, they get a sweat, they flex, you know, that kind of stuff. But they leave. And you know what? They're not sore for the next two weeks yeah. from it. They actually have gotten something out of it. Man, they say, hey, I want to come back uh, tomorrow or the next day. Let's come back and let's get that again.
2: Mm-hmm. And And then what we do also is then we'll have these really hard ones later. Where that all that hard work pays off, and they're doing something that they looked on the board right there, and they're you know two months ago or last year they look at it and they this is just impossible. That's absolutely you'd have to be crazy to do that. And then all of a sudden, uh, with all this hard work, they they find you know what I did it, and I had all these guys with me, and it really wasn't that bad. Yeah, in fact, I want to do it again next next week. And it's the same thing can be applied to to um high school athletes. I'm sure that things that they thought were impossible all of a sudden are now coming easy.
0: Yes. Look, you, you want them to feel confident, feel good. But it, for me, I have a different thing. Where I, Mine is, does it transfer? For what we do in the room or running, whatever we're doing, does it transfer to the court or the field or the wrestling mat? That's everything. If it doesn't transfer, then what are we doing? Right. And a lot of it has to do with them now, the athlete and the sport coach. They've got to take what I've given these guys and make it transfer. That means the skill. How do they work together? How do they play together? That's, that's, a lot of what they do. But I've got to, I've got to develop a better athlete. And that's everything for me is athleticism. Yeah. Are they more athletic? Cause look, you pick up groceries at the store. It's athletic. Yep. You get it Pick You have it in one hand. You got to stabilize in the other. All these things are athletic. Train everybody like they're athletes. That's the key. Mm-hmm.
2: And, uh, how much of that is, do you think is, is, core strength as a as as an athlete to develop athletic ability from the core out that's what that's what crossfit says core to extremity and i thought about that and i was like core to extremity that actually makes sense because you're super strong here and then you work on your core the most and a lot of people don't realize you know like an overhead squat one of the most core specific yeah. things you're thinking you know flutter kicks and all of that but yeah. core can mean olympic lifting and core can mean a lot of different things but I, I think that developing the core, both front and back, not just your, not just trying to get your six pack, but you know, like all yeah. the GHDs and all the things over there with a the back extension yes. is, has been some of the most important development that I've learned. And we didn't know that in the right. beginning. We, you know, it was Arnold Schwarzenegger, eight sets of five and, you know, doing, doing curls. That's how we train for wrestling.
0: Well, we think of the core because this came from wrestling too. And basically the core is the center body. Or we thought of, we use the term hips or center body. But basically from the top of the, or middle thighs, front, back, side, to the ribcage. So you have your uh, quadriceps, your hip flexors, your hamstrings, your gluteals, your erectors, your low back, your obliques, your abdominals. All this is working together. And look, if I go, like we have a thing where we make the guys climb ropes. And our goal is to get them to do five rope climbs, 20-foot ropes, where they've got to go hand over hand, no legs, hands only. And they gotta go twenty feet up, hand under hand coming down, and the first thing that hits the man is a rear end. They got to hit. And they do one every two minutes. So we got let's say we got 28, 30 guys for the team, we got four ropes. So it works about right. So about two minutes, they can get a rope all the guys can get a rope in. And we do that. Our goal is to get them to do five of those. If they can do five in ten minutes during practice, We're going to have good strength. Well, what we found is the guys that can flex their core, their grip becomes stronger. And you can see the guys are grip. Like if they were taking the sheriff, you'll see how they grip. Their grip is is much stronger the more they engage their core. Hmm. So you have to engage the core in almost everything you do.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. So let me ask you on a different note. I have three kids. One is 21. He was a wrestler. My second son just left for college yesterday. It was a very sad day for my wife. Now we have two leaving the house. He was also a wrestler. And uh, now I have my daughter here, uh, who's 15. So in the time between when I was coming through Macaulay and being an athlete and now, there is far more focus placed on year-round kids' athletics. Single sport year round, all the way. I'd like to hear what your what your thoughts
0: are on that. Well, just like I had said, basically about physical education with the young kids, I feel the same way. I think I think have them doing a bunch of sports. If you're in a phys ed class, which we used to go to a phys ed class, and it was like this: we walked in, we had white converse shoes, white socks, a white pair of shorts, and it had a number on the on the pants. And then you had a white shirt with a number and they better match. And mm. And when you walked into the gym floor, there was a number on the side of the gym. And what happens, it depends on who the teacher was. You sat on that number or you stood on that number till they came in and they came in, took role that that professor did, took the role. Someone comes from the office, pick up the acetate list and now you're ready to start. So then we'd line up and then we start doing our jumping jacks and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but. That was physical education. And after we did that for about 15 minutes, then we would play dodgeball or volleyball or badminton or basketball, uh, whatever we had, but we would do tumbling actually. Now they had back in those days, they had canvas mats with like horse hair mm-hmm. in it and they had the straps and you'd have to tie it off. So all those things were laid again. So you could, we could do our tumbling stuff. So, and this was back when I was in the first, second grade all the way at least through elementary. Yeah. We had to do it. And
2: what happened to all of that? Because the, 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 it's moved away. The, the education system has moved away from that type of physical education.
0: Yeah, I think we're, I think we're doing the wrong thing. I think we're, we're thinking that by doing more of some of the other things, that's going to make it better. But people become more complete by also taking care of their, their bodies as well. And I think we need to get back to we're doing physical education. And I think we need to do it an hour a day.
2: Yeah. Do you think that that not only the education system, but a lot of professionals and a lot of people that get out of high school and college and move on into their professional life and neglect their fitness and neglect all this, and then they go back to a gym and now it's a personal trainer, machines, all of this stuff. I kind of have this, this thought that CrossFit has been so well-received. Because we got so far away from it. And it's like, look, nothing in CrossFit is new. Nothing. No. There's not one thing. In fact, the older, the better. Yeah, (laughs) Absolutely. And even back to, you know, the kettlebells. I mean, those are are Russian kettlebells that, to my knowledge, you may know differently, but they were invented out of necessity. They didn't have dumbbells.
0: Well, we had these back in the 19-teens in physical education. But they didn't have a flat bottom. They were called kettle balls, uh-huh. and what they did, they had a handle on them. But you'd see them flopped all over the place. And then the Soviets, I guess, they were smart enough to cut the bottom, flatten it out, and that's where you came up with the kettlebell. Huh. But it was kettle balls, and you could see back in the 1920s in physical education, they'd you'd have parallel bars and ropes right. and all kinds of things, and you'd see these kettlebells flopped all over the place. <laughs> we actually used to do some of this back in those days. Uh, a lot of the strongmen used to do them, mm-hmm. you know. So I've I've always, you know, I'm I. We were the first university to ever do them in the modern age at Wake Forest. At university. Wake Forest,
3: mm-hmm. wow! Back in two thousand one, we you're using them up.
0: those across all the all the sports. Every sport, I put a a twenty six pound, a thirty six, a fifty three, and a seventy two at every station. So, like, if you have six stations out here, I'd have one in each station. And I'd put them there so it was easy to get a hold of so we can do swings or kettlebell cleaning presses or whatever we're doing.
2: Mm-hmm. I always thought that if I could only have one or two exercises, the kettlebell swing would definitely be Oh, great one. stuff. I mean, Absolutely. And that Dan John, I came across one of his workouts and it was similar to what you're talking about. It's a 500 kettlebell swing workout, but the way that he does it, it doesn't, I mean, you, you, you say you're going to swing kettlebell five, 500 times. That's, Sounds like a lot, yeah. but he does 50 and then there's an accessory exercise. So you do 50 and you do like three pull ups, then you do 40, two pull ups, yeah. 30 and one pull up. So now you're at uh, what is that? You're at 120 and you do that three or four times and then you end, well, you end up with your. What
0: he's doing is, is what density is. It, mm-hmm. You don't want it to ruin their day. Right. <laughs> and you know, a lot of the kids I work with have still got to go to practice, right? Or they've got to go to compete. You don't want to do too much volume, especially too co- close together, and then they can't move. And then if they can't move, the coach is going, what are you doing to these guys? Right, You're killing them. That's not what it's about. So density for me. Now, when, when you're doing CrossFit, you have the competitions. You have to get ready just like a soccer coach has to get his team ready. That is sport specific.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, going back to the uh, being sp- uh, specific uh, or having one sport, I think we're we're really hurting our athletes physically, and we're doing them a disservice by not in the in middle school having them in three sports. Yes, they should be in three sports, club sports. I I, I don't even care. I don't I, give the kids a summer off. Have fun. Do something different. Go go to the beach. Go to the do whatever you want to do. Let them off a little mm-hmm. bit. In fact, when I w- when I had wrestlers, we'd finish at the end of March for the NCAA wrestling tournament. This is back in the 1980s. I didn't see him until Labor Day. Hmm. I'd say, do what you want to do. Here's some workouts. If you want to do these, do it. When you come back, be ready because we're going to get after it right away. And they knew. And, and they, they would, come come would come back. Most of them would come back ready to come. Yeah. And, and you know, we're, we're going to get back to work. And they knew what was going to happen. So my thing is don't overdo it. But if they were doing different sports, they're not overdeveloped in one area. And that, that's the key. You know, so.
2: I always think of like what we do here. It has to be a life enhancer. We do it at five o'clock in the morning. And my group is, is comprised almost entirely of dads that uh, are professionals. And, you know, they've got wrestling practice, soccer practice, play practice, cheerleading, whatever in the afternoon. They got to pick up their, their kids. They have to go to, you know, they want to go to these events. So if it's an afternoon kind of thing, then, it just becomes inconsistent. And then if if you're going to tell your wife, you know, i got to get the workout in, I'm not going to be at the play, yep. then that's not sustainable. Yeah. That's just is not going to work. And so what we did is we found a time of the day that was our time. That's great. And we had to wake up earlier. Right. So yeah. there's always a sacrifice in there somewhere. But the sacrifice is that you have to wake up before Your family, you're not inconveniencing your family. That's right. Then you are, then you're getting your workout in, you're getting your fellowship in, you're getting your camaraderie in. And and then that also turns into mental mental toughness and that's something else i I wanted to uh to explain it's been it's been really really beneficial but it has to be a life enhancer and like if if someone comes to me sometimes and they're like you know i just can't do the the five o'clock i'm too tired at 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 work and i'm falling asleep and it's like fine man then you need to find something else that's great just try to find something else that works maybe if if it's at lunch you got to do that but keep your fitness up because that is a life enhancer in itself the fitness But you just have to find a time of day and it doesn't have to be CrossFit. It doesn't have to be weightlifting at all. It could be racquetball or trail running or something, but you have to find a time to do it and something that's fun and usually a group to do it with.
0: Yeah, because you want them to come back. Right. So they repeat it. Usually when I get a person that starts training, I'll say, let's spend 12 minutes today. And for the first 21 days, let's keep it easy. Because I want you to come back every day. I want yeah. you to enjoy doing this. I don't want you to be so sore. You don't want to come. Then we can start increasing after that 21 days. We can start picking up a little bit more where you enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And uh But the thing is, if it ruins their day or the next two or three days, it's going to be hard to get them back. Right. And so you've got to make it somewhat fun for them. And now with wrestlers, hard work is fun. Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit different yeah. with that. But I've got to send some athletes out there to compete. If they're sore all the time, they're complaining to their coach, they don't want to be here anymore, they don't want to do it, that's not really good. So how can I get them there and do it slowly? Some of them just need to stretch more.
3: Right. Be honest.
2: And are you, when you're doing that, one one or two more questions on Mm -hmm. this, but when you're doing that for, let's just say wrestling, because that's the sport that maybe you know the best or or that I know the best, how are you managing the preseason to the competition season? Where's the volume and the <clears throat> intensity coming in? And are you like as you get closer to the competition season, are you pulling back on one or the other?
0: Yeah. What What I'll do is let's say, uh, like uh, we had the wrestlers today that they basically run the workouts on their own this week. So I give them a workout. They came in and they did uh, high low hurdles and the medicine medicine balls, and we did uh, rope skipping for about three minutes, three thirty second goes, and then they did power cleans. 50, 60, 70, and 80 for four reps on each set. Then we did the same with the front squats. And then we did, we had them do bench press where they did 10, 8, 6, 4 uh, up to 80% for four, superseded with bent rows. Mm-hmm. And we had certain set starts. So let's say that at the power clean and the front squat, it was like 90 second set start. So as soon as you got through your four, your other buddy got through four, you change the weights, be ready, we're, call- we're calling you up. So 90 seconds were done, like in six minutes for the power clean, six minutes for the front squats, uh, probably what eight minutes for the uh bench press mm-hmm. and bent rows. So we're finished with that. Then we had them do uh wrestler twist, we had them do just one set of 10 and 10. We had them hold a plank for two minutes, and then we did uh, we did RDLs for their body weight. So if you weighed 185, you put 185 and you do 10 reps. Mm. On the we only did one set. And then we finished with what we call a finisher, a leader finisher. And what we do is we break the workout down as athletic warm-up, team lifts that everybody does. Then we do partner circuit. Now, normally I have more than one circuit going through. And what I'll try to do is get it to where they can choose from some kind of ab, some kind of hamstring low back, and some kind of torque. Could be a one arm bench. One arm bench came from wrestling. That was me back in the seventies, But I found that one arm bench really worked the core yeah. if you put the other hand on your belly, and that's we started doing that with wrestling as well. And boy, it really now football uses a lot of teams use it. Yeah, but uh, but we do a finisher at the end, so our finisher would be a leader finisher. We we'll let him choose normally, but I'll sometimes just put it up there. But today they chose to do it's seven minutes. A finisher is a seven minutes because it's a seven minute match. So, they do seven sets of chin-ups and seven sets of dips. So, so they're doing seven chins, seven dips, every minute for seven minutes. Mm. So, they're finished in six and a half minutes or whatever with uh, 49 chins and 49 dips. Mm-hmm. And that's that's our finisher. So, when they leave, they're jacked up yeah. in a little bit. Yeah. But they feel good.
2: And, and before that, you were saying that you had partner circuits. What, yeah. is, what is that?
0: Partner circuit is where... If you're doing the wrestler twist and you're doing 10, uh-huh. okay, I'm counting your reps. Yeah. And then he counts mine. I got gotcha. you. You count mine. Gotcha. So you that is your rest period. Yes. And then you go to the next thing. What yeah. is the next thing? Let's say it's RDLs. So I do my 10, you you do your uh-huh. 10. I count. We're trying to get, again, we're doing that with the team lifts and everything else. But again, be a good partner. Be a good teammate.
2: Yeah.
0: And when you get in the finisher, you might be doing, Debs, He's doing chins, So you just switch it. Yeah. So it's not as much because, but the whole team is working together. But
2: you're on that, on that chin up dip one that you're saying you're, you're factoring in rest in that you're waiting on your partner or you're, or it's just going full speed as hard as you go go. from,
0: I go do my seven chins, my seven dips, and hopefully I've got a little bit of rest to recover.
2: But it's every minute on the minute. Every minute.
0: We call them uh, 60 second or one minute set starts. Yeah. So you're starting. Everybody is it well, how much rest do you get? I, whatever they can figure out to yeah, get right. Right, right but the thing i'm looking for is like when you do a chin up and i'll show you this, you want to get long arms at the bottom mm-hmm. you need to muscle it's not the crossfit chin it's there's no kicking mm-hmm. what you actually do is you want to flex the quads and flex the glutes mm-hmm. and it is just pure pull mm-hmm. yeah i want to see that they are getting strong with that control it up control it down dips the same way don't just slop through things. Do things right. Nice. Do it the right way. So they do it. So they're actually getting strong. Yeah. And especially through that range of motion. Now the dips. I don't have them usually go real deep. At least you know parallel. tricep parallel to the ground. Uh-huh. Yeah,
2: that's cool. Um, one of the you might like this. One of the things that it's one of my favorite things that we'll do here is we'll pick three exercises in two man team. And so say it's say it's ten assault bike calories, ten kettlebell swings. 10 wall balls or 10 pull-ups or whatever. Good stuff. And so you're waiting on your partner to do the 10 assault bike. Yeah. And then as soon as he calls your name, which I always have him call her name because then yeah. it's more camaraderie and it's That's and, right. I love it. and then and then if you're with a partner like that is better than you, you know your rest time is going to be less because the intensity is going to be ratcheted up. Yeah. But anyway, he finishes the the calories, calls your name, you start on the on the kettlebell swings, he moves up here to the wall balls good stuff and then you call his name and then you go back to the yeah. to the deal and you can do it with any three exercises but whenever that comes people there's a love-hate relationship with it because people are like oh great this is going to be great it's going to be fun we're going to have a, a partner here but oh man that guy's going to be my partner so i'm going to have virtually no rest yeah. <laughs> but I, I love that yeah format. but you know,
0: here, here's uh, you know, because i'm an educator here's what you're creating You're creating better coworkers at work. Yeah, you're creating better fathers, better husbands, better grandfathers. That they're not just thinking about themselves. That's that is the whole key to all this. Is be be somebody that cares about somebody other than just yourself. That's that's what I do. That's what education is for me. The you know whether he got it perfect on a clean, I'll let him. We'll we'll clean that up. But were you a good teammate? Were you standing there? And so when when a kid says coach, that's your job. You coach my man. man see, it disappoints me. It's somebody that just doesn't care. Yeah. You, you got to care about your fellow human being, just like you care about your dog and your children and, and everything else. You got to care about somebody.
2: Mm-hmm. That's It's interesting that you immediately key to that because uh, last night I had uh, one of my guys send me a, a message saying that he's up for a much higher position at his Business And he had to write out this long piece of information about himself. And he said, you wouldn't believe how much, how much the workout and what we do here came up in my thoughts about, you know, like, for instance, not everybody in here, we have some old wrestlers in my group, but so many people, for whatever reason, you know, just didn't get, it didn't quite sink in like it does with wrestlers that hard work pays, grit, determination, discipline, and later in life, you can come up with that and 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 bring that back into people's lives. That that I mean, obviously they they have had a a great deal of success, but this is that life enhancer of discipline, determination, grit. You know.
0: Yeah, what you're doing is look. We like to think of the goal, like Alabama football. They want they want to win the national championship. Mm-hmm. You want to do it, but what Nick Saban does is really important, and it's what I do. And, and Dan Gable's done this. A lot of the other not putting myself in that category, but very successful uh, coaches have done is they've gotten the kids to believe in the process. I'll just tell you a quick story. If you want to hear a good story, it's a story that was told to me back in uh, when I was a sophomore in high school, and or I read about it. It's a Zen parable. Basically, there's this man, he's walking in this field, and he comes upon this tiger, and the tiger gives chase. The guy's got nowhere to go but to dive off this cliff. So he dives off this cliff, and about midway down, he grasps onto this vine, and he's holding onto this vine for dear life. He looks up, and there's that tiger, and he can hear the growl. He can feel the hot breath of that tiger. To his dismay, directly below him, on the, floor, on the ground, is another tiger walking around waiting for him to drop off the vine. Out right above where his hands are clasped onto the vine are two mice, one black and one white, and they're gnawing on the vine. But directly in front of him is this earthen ledge, and this has this plant. In the middle of the plant is a nice, big, juicy strawberry. So he grasps on as tight as he can with one hand, takes his other hand, reaches in there, grabs that strawberry, puts it in his mouth, closes his eyes, and says to himself, how sweet it tastes. Now what do these characters represent? The tiger above him is his past life. If you try to relive it, like, I can't go back and do 10 sets to 10 on power cleans in my body weight. You know, I'm 64 years old. You know, it's a little bit different animal today, but I've learned a lot from the past. There are things that I can carry over from the past, but I can't relive it. The tiger down below is your sure and ultimate death. We're all going. We're we're not going to leave this world alive. We're all going to die. The two mice on the vine are the, is day and night, and it's just taken away. And you know, we've got so much time. That's the swear it is. But that ledge, that earthen ledge, where the strawberry is is the present moment. We're sharing time right now. You have a movie in your mind. I've got a movie in my mind. We're sharing this movie in this podcast. What happens is that living in that process and being married to the process is what makes you get through. So it's basically living in the moment. Enjoy every moment moment that you have. When you're eating, when you with your, when you're with your kids, when you're out of your training, whatever it is, enjoy it. Don't think about the past. Don't think about the future. Live in the present. And that's the thing that I learned a long time ago. So what I do is I try to teach kids to enjoy the process. When you come in the room, feel flexing, feel what it's like to be pushing your teammate and working. You feel good. Live that and live in that process and enjoy it. And that's if I can give anybody uh, some advice and where you don't have a lot of worries, don't have a lot of problems. That's it. Enjoy the moment.
2: That's awesome. That's a great story. I find it interesting that you would you would be able to. To process that as a sixteen-year-old sophomore in yeah. in high school, did did does it mean something different to you today than it meant meant at, at sixteen, or were you just ready to receive well, that obviously, information?
0: You get more information. I've learned a lot. Yeah, through the process. Yeah, but I, I had kind of the idea about it, but it's crystallized a lot more as yeah. you get older. It becomes a lot more important.
2: Yeah, that thought is popular right now with a lot of books and and uh, and people. You know living in the now, living in the moment. But, but that I, I love that parable that you had. That is, I've never heard that before. Well,
0: I've told that story almost every time I speak to coaches, strength coaches, wrestling coaches. I tell them that that's it. That's the thing. Like If you go to, uh, you know, uh, we're going to say Nick Sam because he's the most successful. Obviously, he has good athletes. But he also takes good athletes, and he wins with them. So he's doing something. But when you go into his practice, every drill is important. Everything he's doing is important. It's in that moment, that time, that is what's important. Live in that moment and do it. Don't think about winning a national championship. Don't think about this or that. Get in that moment and enjoy it, and give your best effort in everything that you do. And if you do that,
2: well, then it's that series of of doing that now, and in five minutes, and five minutes after that, and five minutes after that, and all those add up into perfect preparation.
0: Now I'm really? gonna tell you a joke. Tell you a <laughs> thing about this. It's not a joke on that, but it's a, it's about the story. So I go over to China and I'm telling this story to the Chinese rowing coaches. Cause a buddy of mine who used to coach when I was at Macaulay and I was doing the U.S. women's rowing team, Bushbacher. Anyway, he was asked to be the two thousand twelve Olympic coach for the Chinese team. So he says, I want you to come over, work with these girls for about two weeks. So I went over and worked with the National Rowing national rowers and got to work with the coaches and stuff, and I tell the story to the national coaches, and of course they don't understand English, but they had an interpreter, so he's telling the story to them. One of the guys goes, he stands up and he goes, uh, "Why don't you just hold onto the rope with one hand, take the other hand, and knock those two mice off the vine?" <laughs> 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 going, "Well, that would cure a Stop time right there. That would do
2: it. That would do it. I don't <laughs> know if that's, I don't know if that's possible." I don't think it's possible to stop time, though. No. But you do have to you do have to live in the moment, and I think that 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 is that is true happiness is is enjoying enjoying this moment because you can't do anything about what's already happened. I mean, you can learn from it, but you can't do anything about the future.
0: Well, what it does is it makes you grateful for every little thing. So, like, you get up in the morning, and I don't know if you're getting coffee before, but let's just say I'm not I'm not a coffee drinker much, but I used to be. But these guys come in, they work hard, they got a sweat going, they're going back, get a shower, they get that cup of coffee, they're driving to work, man, that cup of coffee tastes so good. Mm-hmm. You're grateful for that cup of coffee. You're grateful that you're driving in this car, that you got a car drive it's got yeah. gasoline in it. Yeah. You know, you're grateful for everything in your life. You see what I mean? Yeah. And that's what living in the moment does for you.
2: We have, uh, we have a practice. I was going to see if this t-shirt was down here i just had my birthday yesterday and the the guys made me the guys made me uh, a (laughs) t-shirt but we have this practice that i write on that board right there and it's like we'll we'll do a finisher like you do but one of the finishers that i like to do is i just i just write gratitude 10 minutes yeah so i set the clock for 10 minutes we lay down here and i don't even know where i came across this practice but you start very very small with your heart and you just you just think you know everybody closes their eyes and And my wife looks out the window and thinks we're all lost our minds, but we're laying down and uh, everything's super quiet. And you just think about your heart and you think about, I'm so. Happy and grateful that I have a heart that allows me yeah. to do this workout, and then, then uh, right. you know, then you take it out a little bit further. I'm, I'm happy and grateful that I have a, a a body that that is healthy, and you can go as far into it as you want. Like yeah. I'm so grateful that I overcame this, or that that I'm super healthy, or whatever. Then you push it out a little further. I'm happy and grateful for the most important people in my life: your wife, your kids, whatever. Yeah push push that circle out a little bit further. I'm I'm so happy and grateful for my parents' health and and whoever the next little circle is, and then whoever the next little circle, and whatever the next little circle is, your business, your, I'm so happy and grateful I live in a beautiful place and, and I, I have these friends. And the next thing you know, you've pushed that out to a really large place and the 10 minutes is up and you have started your day with physical activity ending with with gratitude and it's one of the most important things
0: we do here. Oh, it's super stuff.
2: It's it's incredible. And even if it you know 5 minutes is enough to really to really get yourself into that into that place, but I don't know where I came across that but it has it's, it's been so grateful uh, or so powerful in my life and the lives of the people that are here. The other thing that um one of my Navy SEAL friends told me was when you wake up in the morning your one foot hits the ground and you say, thank, and the next foot hits the ground. And you say, you, thank, you, thank, you, all the way to the bathroom. Yeah. And uh, again, you you anchor in gratitude, just being thankful.
0: Yeah, something I do personally is that, and that's, by the way, that those are great things, very similar to what I do. I, first thing I get up in the morning, I put my feet on the ground. Of course, my knees creak a little bit more mm-hmm. than they used to, but is, I say this to myself 10 times, today is a great day. Today is a great day. And for the last three or four years, I have not taken a a warm shower. I've only taken cold showers. So the coldest shower that I can get in, it's like, you know, when you get up in the morning and you get that cold shower, you know it's cold. And I mean, you're sitting, you might be on the toilet, you're brushing your teeth, then you got to go get in that shower. You're trying to prolong it, but you get in it. And man, once you get in it, it just lights you up, You're shivers But it starts the day with an adversity, something you've overcome. Do you know the rest of your day is easy after that? And it's an amazing thing. But you got to try that sometime. Just do nothing but cold showers. And I'll tell you, it's...
2: I'm quite aware of that. Do you know know Wim Hof? Oh, yeah. The Wim Hof Method. So I've been doing the Wim Hof Method since um, 2015, I think. So three years. And that's part of his practice is cold showers. Now I don't do them all the time, but I do. I have the ice bath over there, and I've got the the big ice machine here, and I do that as much for recovery as anything That's else. Great. But but that Wim Hof method, and if you don't know what the Wim Hof method is, it, it, Wim Hof is a Dutch. Uh, if you if you um, read about him online, it, it will call him a a Dutch um, thrill seeker or a <laughs> Dutch. Um, world record holder or whatever. But basically, he had some adversity in his life, and he learned that through breathing and through cold water immersion, he says he was just drawn to the cold water. And the way that getting into the cold water made him breathe, he realized that he was overcoming some depression because his wife killed herself. And he was overcoming some depression, and he was doing some things that, that he had an innate understanding of like he was changing his autonomic immune system through this breathing. And the breathing is 30 breaths in as deeply as you can possibly go. And and rather quickly, you know, in and out, in and out, in and out. And then on the last one, you breathe in and then you breathe all the way out to where your lungs are completely deflated and you hold it there. And some people can hold it for a long time, like four or five minutes. And then you breathe in one big one And hold that for, sometimes you hold it for 30 seconds, sometimes for a minute. And then you repeat that three or four times. And then you can end this with a set of push-ups. And the first time that I ever show anyone this, we'll do a benchmark beforehand one day. Like if I'm going to show you this breathing, I'll ask you to do the push-ups today. And then we'll start the breathing tomorrow. So they'll do a set of push-ups. And I don't really care, any style. Whatever you're going to do tomorrow, I want you to do that today. And they'll get 30 push-ups, right? Then we do the breathing. And with no air in their lungs, they'll do fifty or sixty push-ups. Wow! And nobody can believe it because maybe some of these people have never done sixty push-ups in a row. Wow! But there's this whole oxygenation of the of the of the system. But I just think that it is. Uh, I I think it's just a total reset that allows you to yeah. to go deeper into your physical abilities than you than you thought were possible before. But I've I've tried many forms of meditation and head clearing and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Without a whole lot of, of luck, honestly. Yeah. Um until I found this Wim Hof method and then it's just like So you
0: really do it. Yeah. A
2: lot. Yeah. Every morning I start I start the day. Before I work out, I do it wow. every day.
0: You need to uh, my wife is the director of the uh, North Springs, yeah. Center for Rejuvenation. Mm-hmm. Have you ever been over yes, there? Yes. Okay. I have. Okay, you know Susan then. Yeah, You're my wife. Okay. okay. She's yeah.
2: That's great. I love, I love the yeah. uh, the cold room. Okay. And uh
0: have I seen you over there? I don't
2: I don't think so, but no. my friend Reggie, you did run into my friend Reggie okay. and he was telling you about this group and everything. Okay. Yes. And uh I think it was when you first got into town. Mm-hmm. Uh and he told me he's like, "Man, I met this guy today." I'm like, "I know exactly who that is." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's get him over here and have him teach us a few things. Yeah, yeah, wow. There's just so much of of that that goes into this this physical culture. And that's what I'm that's what I, when people ask about what it is that we're doing, it's hard to even even describe, because it seems like from the outside that it's all hard workouts. And it yeah. seems like that we're trying to kill ourselves with these hard workouts. But these hard workouts are, are a are a function of, of ramping up the training until you're prepared for a really, really, really super hard one. And yeah. then doing the super hard ones really is not beneficial to the body as it is beneficial to the mind. And that's one of the things that I was going to ask you about. Um, for instance, if you train some very very athletic young people there are many people who are extremely good athletes that probably have more athletic ability than other people but you have one person that emerges as a champion sometimes that is straight up athletic ability but most times in my in my observations and i don't have as many observations as you do mm-hmm. but most and especially this is true in wrestling you'll see you'll see people that when they first started, you, you, you didn't think that they were going to stick with it, and they turned out to be a two-time state champion or take it even further. And it was a weak little kid that, that walked into the room, and he walks out just an absolute world beater. So that's in the head, right? Because yeah. athletically, he never stacked up to his,
0: his peers. Here's the deal. We, we want to make him his best athlete or try to get them to maximize their potential. Some kids have great ability. There's a, there's another thing though, and that's the skill. And uh, the the best wrestlers that I've ever known were guys that could drill. I mean, hundreds of thousands of repetitions over and over and over again. Maybe they were not as good athletes starting out, generally, but they made themselves into a good tennis player or a good wrestler because of the repetition, and not just repetition, quality repetition. Right. And that's where the density comes in. You can take density. And you can apply this to skill of sport. You can, cause I, I did density when I coach wrestling. Also do it when I use for hill runs or, or stairs or whatever I'm doing. I use density in almost everything I do or everything that I do and train kids. That's how I use it. But, uh, what happens is now you're talking about being specific to the sport and that goes beyond what you and I are going to do. That's a kid that's going to say, I'm going to really focus. They start to get a feel. Uh, for the sport you know and that's like you look at a good uh, linebacker in football or a good midfielder in soccer it's not always he's not always the one moving around all the time oh yeah he's so fast maybe he's not as athletic but he knows where to be and that's the same f- feel for a wrestler they just don't overdo it they know where their position is it's kind of like algorithms you know what i mean mm-hmm. they're going to put themselves and not go beyond that which by, is the same sort of thing we use with our training called the 80-20 rule. 80-20 rule basically is taking the top 20% of the most important things you can actually do that's going to give you the best athleticism, whatever whatever, whatever the best in whatever sport it is. Take that 20% and do it 80% of the time. Mm-hmm. And take the 80% that's left over and you condense that into 20% or whatever you want to take out of it. But the most important thing is take the top 20% and do it 80% of the time. And that's how you have your success. Yeah, And that basically is basics, doing basics. over oh, The teams that do the basics over and over and over again, like you say a power clean and a squat or a deadlift or chin-ups, do those ad nauseum till you're so good at it, who's going to beat you? Right, But it's going to beat you. You're good. Same with blocking and tackling or double legs, or fireman's carriers, or whatever you're good at, because you've done it so much, they can't stop you. Right. But there's still a mental game.
2: There's still... Absolutely. There's still a mental... How how are you training or bringing that into your training? Because I know that you do, and I know that you value that very much, but I don't know what you're you're doing. Okay.
0: It goes to this. Let's say I have, uh, like, I had two uh, tennis players coming today, and... We have some deficiencies in their flexibility, in the hips, not as good in the hips. And I'm making them do these hurdles, making them do stretching. And they're not very good. And I told, They said, uh, we're not very good at this. And they were like, you know, some people say, I quit. I'm not good at this. I'm not going to do this. And I said, no, I know you're not very good at it now. But when you get good at it, watch what happens to your tennis. I, I'll give you a story. I had a baseball uh, pitching coach when I was at Ohio University. It's in the middle of the winter, and we've already been training with some of the uh, uh baseball players. And I see him coming from the convocation center over to the weight room, and it's snowing. I mean, it has really come down. I see him, and I'm thinking, okay, he's coming over to talk to me. What's he going to talk about? You know. Thinking, but I was big on having him do plyometrics, one-legged jumps, two-legged jumps, a lot of tumbling and cartwheels, and ladder drills and bag drills and things to get him to be athletic, as well as teach him how to do. Cleans and squats and other things. He comes over and says, You know, these guys just, they are a couple of guys that they just don't understand why we're doing this. And I said, Well, coach, uh, you had them in your office. You had the opportunity to tell them why we're doing it. Obviously, I need to explain it to you too. And I thought I had, you know, but I said, Coach, here's all you need to tell them. Just tell them this. We've got a good strength coach over in the weight room. Do what he says. And he uh, here's what he told me. When you get good at what you're doing, what he's having you do, you'll know why, you'll know why you did it. So now I see him coming back. Now it's June. Season's over. I see him walking across the street. And he says, man, Ethan, he says, "Uh, those were the best. That's This past season was the best season these guys ever had. I said, I know. I'm just dying. I know what I'm talking about. Master things. Take those things you're not very good at. A cartwheel a forward roll, a snatch or a clean or a kettlebell swing, whatever you're doing, you're not good at it. Get good at it, master it, and you'll see how it transfers. I, I, it, it's an amazing thing, but do something to be athletic. Those are the ones, because they'll fight through it and they'll work through it to master it. And it, it's like if you go into a wrestling room and you and you see these guys drilling, you could actually, the ones that are really, really good at it, you could play music and you're thinking they're dancing. Yeah, They're doing like, you know, hip high drills or whatever they're doing. And that's beautiful to watch. And that's what you want to see. You know, so it, it, those are the kids that are going to be more mentally tough. They're coachable. They're teachable. Any great champion, the Olympic champions, world champions, national champions, state champions that I've ever worked with, one thing that was true to almost every one of them, they were coachable. You know why? Because they wanted to be good. So they were there to go, man, they're listening with their eyes, their ears, their heart. They want to be good. So they're coachable. The ones that aren't, that won't maximize their potential, won't go as far. And that's something that I found be true. The mental The mental toughness thing is you put them through some adversity. You test them a little bit. You find out who's going to work through it. But it's not always what's found in the weight room. You, you know what I mean? Uh, there, There's some guys that were like these jujitsu gyms. Some of the weakest guys on those teams are world champions. Yeah. They just know how to use their strength. They just know how to use it. They're tough. they are just got a toughness to them. Right. You know, they're
2: fighters. Yeah. And and a lot of that toughness is between between the ears of… of Absolutely. You know, wrestling, jujitsu, boxing, those kind of uh, tennis, swimming, same same kind of deal. It's you yeah. against someone else in front of a lot of people. And there are a lot of games that can start being played in your head, like… You're, you know, that guy looks bigger than you. Um, <laughs> on and on. I didn't sleep well last night. On and on. To, to, to be able to have a, a method of clearing your head, of, of knowing. And I think that's what, what a lot of what you're getting into right now is is by mastering something basic, you're developing confidence. You're developing a mental ability to know that you can overcome. And that translates to the that translates to the mat.
0: Yeah, you master those things, and then go back to the story about living in the moment. That way, you don't have no worries. You know, not, you know, everybody's going to get a little butterflies before a match, but you shouldn't lose sleep over it, right? You know, you just get up the next morning, and say, "Let's go, man. Strap it on. Let's go." I had one kid named Chris Ardolino; a tough kid. He beat a guy that was a national champion. And he, we go to this tournament. He's he's uh, laying in the stands. I've already worked them out for the day to get him warmed up, but we're in a tournament. And, and uh, he's, he, uh, I go over there. I said, Chris, what are you doing? He says, "Says uh, Coach, uh, see, the, I'm sitting there. They're the speakers. When they call my name, I go to the mat. He says, you, have you checked the charts? Well, who are you wrestling next? He says, you're, you're wrestling O'Shea, national champion. O'Shea. He says, O'Shea O'Shea. When they call my name, I show up and I go wrestling. And that's it. He goes out and beats the guy. But he has that attitude. That's some people have that. They just have the ability to do that. I'm just looking for. I you you have to have fighters. You have to have kids that are fighters. Kids are, they've got to be married to resistance. They love the toughness. They love the resistance. They they love hard things that make you tough. The ones that are always trying to get out of things. Whew, man. You you that's that's a tough thing to cross. That's a t- tough thing to bring in.
2: Yeah. Well, I think I think everything that we've talked about. I mean, really. Really, every single thing that we've talked about translates into into the business world and into the um, to the everyday world of your family or, or or whatever. I think I think wrestling in particular is a microcosm of life. It's it it is everything that that happens in life with extreme intensity and with with bad results. You know, uh, yeah. obviously, you know, if yeah. you're not prepared, it's going to show. Yeah, if you uh are mentally not in the game it's going to show and it's going to be painful and and you're going to pay for it i think that that um that's one of the things that has has benefited me the most is just just taking what what was learned in wrestling and some of these things that i that i learned in wrestling i didn't realize i learned them for another 10 or 12 years after stopping the sport and then some of them having two boys that went through the program you don't even realize them until you're a wrestling parent of now you're trying to communicate this to a young person and they're not quite getting it. But I'm I'm learning and I'm thinking, wow, this is if I had just known when I was his age, what I know now and yes. how can I communicate that to him? And it in a lot of ways, it's impossible to communicate that to him. They have to learn that on their own. And hopefully in 10 years after they leave the sport, they will be having the same kind of revelations that I am of, oh,
0: now, now I see I get it. Yeah. Now I get it. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's amazing how smart they become when they're in their thirties and they come back to thank you. Right. You know yeah, what yeah. I mean? Yeah. It's, it's amazing.
2: Yeah. Well, that's what that's the quote. Uh, I've always heard it attributed to uh to Mark Twain, but he said something of uh, when I was eighteen, I, I thought my dad was the dumbest person in the world. And when I turned, you know, twenty eight, I couldn't believe how much he had learned in ten years. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Um well um, let me just check my notebook here. I okay. had a couple of I had a couple of things I wanted to definitely ask okay. you about mental um, mental strength, which we did cover. Now I know that you kept a lot of records. In a couple of the articles that I read, it said that you had had kept records in notebooks of every workout that you that you.
0: Yeah, I still have those. I I think they're somewhere stored somewhere. But yeah. yeah, I used to keep. Every practice minute for minute and then what I do is evaluate. I actually never evaluated the guys, I always evaluated myself as a coach. Right. Because like I was if I asked the, the wrestlers to get better every day, then I've got to do my part to try to get be a better coach every day. Yeah. So.
2: so with all that experience and all of these different things, not just wrestling because you went to Wake Forest and you you coached all these different sports, they didn't have a wrestling program there, right? When you look at some of those the practices and the way that you were doing things Many years ago, as you learn more, are there things that you would change, or did you feel like you were on a on a really good path from the from a long time ago?
0: Well, you know, it really depends on a lot of the things that were done that I did back then. Will work today, absolutely work today. I think I've gotten a little bit better, and you know, with creating volume and intensities off of one rep maxes and things like that. Because my big thing was always did think with wrestling off of body weight, how much reps off your, so we do like, like I said, we do this 10 sets of 10 with your body weight on power clean something, but I'll, I'm still going to clean, still going to squat, still going to push press, still going to deadlift, still going to snatch, still going to do those things because they work. Really, if, if we were to go into the weight room and we just did uh power clean and jerk, squat clean and jerk power snatches, front squat, back squat, some kind of lunge or one-legged squat, and that's all we did. I know we could win. The problem you have is because kids are, are, are always wanting to go from one to the other and quick always changing. Uh you need to change it up a little bit. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what I've learned is to try to try to make it so everybody's a little more happy and try to get really the kids more engaged. And what would you like to do? What do you think would be good? But I still have that base of things that I know we're going to do. It's kind of like when Dan Gable walks in the room and goes, Hey, these two hours are mine. <laughs> these are my two hours. After this, you guys do what you want to do. But in this, this is what we're going to do. This is what you're going to do. What I'm going to tell you to do. And I think you have to have some of that because you're the professional. You know how to work with these guys out here. You, you, you're good at what you do. There are certain things you have to do, but to give them some choice or some decision making, then they take ownership and that kind of stuff. Mm. And I never really took, I'm not taking credit for anybody. I've worked with a lot of successful people, but you don't take credit for them. You just, you've worked with them. right? And, you know, I'm, I'm happy. I'm grateful that I could work with those kind of guys or girl, girl you know, so.
2: That's awesome. Well, I want to thank you for, for sitting down with me. I've, uh, I've had a lot of questions for you and uh, certainly wasn't, wasn't um, disappointed. You've, you really know your stuff, and wow. <laughs> uh, I'm glad to have you back at, at UTC and look forward to seeing how that's going to um, affect the program there.
0: Well, I tell the coaches, and the first thing you do is you, you've got to get to the coaches because the coaches make the difference. Because if, if the kids come and complain about something, you don't want the kid, coach to fold. So mm-hmm. the coach's got to say, hey, look, get in there. We're going to work. But for the most part, you sell it to the coach, and it's, I, I told the coach, it's going to take about a year to a year and a half for this stuff to really set but once you do and it's in all the new incoming freshmen they pick it up quicker because the whole team does it right. now everybody's got the the new new ones will come in and pick it up a lot quicker just nice. like when you get new people coming in mm-hmm. guess what I mean man because they, they, everybody's doing it they've got to step up right you know, so, and that's really what's happening and pretty soon we're winning championships again so That's what I'm here for. Good. Well, I
2: wish you all the luck in the world.
0: Well, thank you, buddy. Appreciate you. See you. Okay.
2: What a great conversation with Coach Ethan Reeve. He gave me so much motivation to uh, use density training for some of my own goals. Something as simple as putting 50 pounds on the deadlift, getting much more comfortable with with certain weights on the power clean. I'm definitely going to incorporate it. I've used it before to increase my pull-up numbers and I'm definitely going to uh, use it in the future as I, as I prepare for some of the things that I'm working towards this year. I hope you also like the, uh, like the conversation. Coach Reeve is a very positive person, and it's infectious to be around him. Not only does he know a lot, but he has just a, a remarkable attitude. So really, really like this episode. If you did, give us a five-star review on iTunes. I'd really, really appreciate it. It only takes a second. And if you could also drop a rating in there, or you did just drop a rating, if you could also drop a review in there, that would also help greatly. And you know what? I'd love to hear from you. Send me an email, podcast at saltwaterexperience.com. Let me know what you think. Let me know what you're doing. Let me know if you have future guest suggestions. Until next week. Thank you. We'll see you on the water.